Hello, data enthusiasts. This is Chris Detzel, and I'm Michael Burke. Welcome to Data Hurls. We are your gateway into the intricate world of data, where AI, machine learning, big data, and social justice intersect. Expect thought-provoking discussions, captivating stories, and insights from experts all across the industries as we explore the unexpected ways data impacts our lives. So get ready to be informed, inspired, and excited about the future of data. Let's conquer these data hurdles together. All right. Welcome to another Data Hurdles. I'm Chris Detzel and I'm Michael Burke. How are you doing, Chris? Pretty good, man. How about you? Good. Happy birthday. First and foremost, Chris is definitely dedicated to the cause, doing two of these in one day on his birthday. I'm impressed. Yeah. If I was my birthday on a Friday, I don't know. I might be cutting out a little early. We'll see how things go. Well, we got a great expert today and CEO of a company. I'll let Mike dress it, but it's a, an exciting day for me on my birthday. Mike, go ahead. Yeah, we have Canal Argwell on the show today, CEO of Unravel Data. Canal, thank you so much for joining us. To kick so things off. Happy birthday. Thank you. Appreciate it. To kick things off, can you just tell us a little bit of background about yourself and what drove you to found Unravel Data? Yeah. Data observability, data fit ops is such an important topic. And we started seeing a problem around solving this particular issue. In the early days, when people were running Hadoop, when people were running stuff on the on-premises stack, and what we saw was it was really made for the hackers and tinkers. It was really rough around the edges and there's powerful tech, but to simplify it, to make sure that a lot more people can use it, a lot of things like governance, security, observability, performance management, these things needed to be ironed out. So it was just industry observations and our early days in the Hadoop world coupled with my co-founder's research at Duke University that he was looking at optimizing database solutions automatically, we figured this is a very important core topic to go and solve for this to become a fully usable, complete product. And that's what part of this journey. The data stack has evolved. The needs on the data environments have multiplied. Uh, a lot more people using the data environment now, so that's exciting to see. And even within every company, it's no more just the hardcore IT professionals running it anymore, right? It's That's the right. marketing, it's just the product guys, it's the finance people, the legal people, everybody's running it now. And then it keeps exciting us with AI coming into the forefront with companies using data in that fashion. So yeah, we've seen an evolution of the industry and then adopted our product and offering along with the evolution as well. I could tell you, same experience, not as much with Hadoop in my career, I think that was towards the beginning, but really with Spark too, especially, the complexity has just become out of control, right? You've got a dozen different needs from real-time transactions to your batch processes. And if you have complicated integrations, right, this becomes something that quickly becomes unmanageable. And I know that myself, personally, I've experienced this firsthand where you say, oh, I can make that pipeline. Sure, we can handle that. And all of a sudden, you go from being the ML team to the ML ops team and quickly you can't scale, you can't do new innovation. How has this kind of evolved over the last few years? Because I think that definitely from a lot of the core functionality, which I know is still very widespread with Hadoop, we've seen a lot of emerging technologies that have tackled these problems in different ways, but still the problem seems to persist, right? Yeah, you're absolutely right. A uh, couple of changes that have happened, right? Number one, there is no one size fits all. People have 
like I said, Spark. Some people are running Snowflake. Some people are running BigQuery. Yeah. And then there, what we see is people usually have 12 to 14 different data components to make up their data stack. You may have something for data ingestion like a Kafka or any of your favorite data streams. You may have an ML engine, like you mentioned, an AI platform on top of that. So that's fact number one. Fact number two is you're seeing people run more of these workloads on the cloud. And I think that's yep. what we're talking about. Hey, cloud was supposed to take all these operations headaches out of it, but it really hasn't. Right. I know. That was the whole point. <laughs> We've gone from no ops <laughs> to more ops and that's a bad note. Yeah. Um, so that's also a fact. And, and the third change is there are more people who are not experts in the data system being allowed yep. to use the data platform. And there's nothing wrong with that. We're all promoting data democracy and everybody needs to be using it. You, th you think about these three problems or these three situational facts, a lot of problems start to arise. Number one, if you do have an issue with your pipeline, like you were talking about, who can solve that problem? Even if you're an expert, you're probably going to be an expert in Kafka or in Spark or in BigQuery or in Red. Yep. You can't be an expert at all. But guess what? Your pipeline cuts across these systems. Um, so you need expertise in everything. And if you start to build expertise, then you're going to solve that problem maybe three years away from today. So you really need something else to go and solve that problem for you, which is coming up today. Second thing is when you're running large-scale systems on the cloud, it's very easy to spin it up, but it's very hard to rein in cost. It's very hard to rein in performance because you have infinite, flexible infrastructure that you can go and scale up. That creates new challenges. And third, you have people from varying skill sets now on this platform. Um, so a person may be just thinking, hey, it's a, a small SQL query that they spun up, but they, but they don't know what's happening underneath the covers. And unfortunately, you do need to know that to go and fix problems or understand what's really happening. Um, and, and that's complex. Um, so what we have done at Unravel is made sure, number one, we are able to cover the entire stack. Um, it doesn't matter which cloud you're running on. It doesn't matter what services you're using. If you need to understand what's happening inside your environment and how to fix it, Unravel should be able to monitor that or observe that for you. The second piece is then, because people have varying levels of experience and knowledge about these systems, just showing them what's happening is no longer important or is no longer useful. Um, you have to guide them to the answer. You have to provide them insights rather than just data and saying, here's all the information about your system. You go figure it out. Guess what? They're not going to be able to figure it out. So we had to take a step further and say, observability is no, more, no longer enough. You need intelligence on top of that observability because observability is about what is happening. It's a very foundational, fundamental piece. Yes, you need to know that. But the users need to know why something is happening and how you can go and solve that particular problem. That's the only way they're going to be able to get out of it. Otherwise, they're going to ping their friends and support staff. And then it takes a couple of days to go and solve that issue, which obviously nobody has time for or the world's not waiting. And then third, right. because these customers have gone to the cloud and there's data democracy on the cloud, new problems around FinOps challenges is what the umbrella term for this is popping up, especially on the data space. And there have been FinOps solutions for the general broader cloud, but something specific is needed for this data stack. This is very unique in how it's processing data. It's very unique in the types of problems that can arise. 
So something needed to be developed ground up to solve problems and challenges with data pipelines and AI models and things like that. So we have also adopted the platform now to help with understanding where your cost and your uh, expenses are going. What can you do to go and remove wastages and inefficiencies to bring those down? And then how do you actually put guardrails, alerts, auto actions to keep people in their lane and keep them in budget and make sure that you are able to quickly trade off performance and cost as you're running on these different environments? Never a dull moment in this world, Mike. There's always <laughs> use cases coming up. So yeah, it's been awesome working closely with all of these different customers to figure out these new cases that can actually help us guys out. I just love that. I think that th these three areas we've always struggled with, right? I'm impressed that Unravel can span such a wide gap because typically the FinOps doesn't talk well with the SecOps and whoever's managing the actual technical operations of the pipelines, the DevOps teams. These have always operated in silos, right? And bridging that observability is so important. Now, I'm assuming Unravel is a fairly technical product, right? To be able to make these assumptions and guidance. What is the role of AI in observability today? And how does Unravel data really leverage that to enhance data observability and communicate these problems upwards? Yeah. So what are you just starting off with you? We were talking about last point is number one, you have, you're right. You have to understand there's many players in a data team now. You have the folks on the business side who are envisioning data products. Banks are thinking about advanced fraud prevention applications. Transport companies are thinking about how do you do more efficient shipping? If you guys remember their entire transport fiasco that mm -hmm. we had during the pandemic, has everybody reimagining their supply chain and living with data. Your telecom company, you've got your own use cases. So there are experts who are subject matter experts thinking about how do you create new data products that can service the customers better. Then you've got your armies of data engineers and data scientists who are doing the plumbing, who are doing the models, who bring these data products to life. And in between, you've got the operations people who are like the center of it all, who are trying to figure out how do I keep these things up? How do I make these things work? It could have an SRE function around them as well. And then you've got the finance guys right? Who we all love, who are ultimately managing the budget and understanding, hey, what should I be forecasting for spend this month or this year? But now they also have a new challenge of figuring out what kind of an ROI am I getting from this data investment? People are spending hundreds of millions of dollars on Gen AI technology now, and they're spending 50, 60, $70 million on Snowflake and uh, Databricks stacks. So that's becoming a huge portion of the total cloud spend. Some of the companies, 40, 50% of their cloud bills are just the data spent on the, on the cloud bills now. So they're all these constituents and they all have their variety of questions. So what we have aimed to do at the, at the center is let's give these guys data to answer their questions. So when we say we observe everything, what I really mean is we're observing all the layers of the stack and all the components of the stack. So measure what the applications are doing, measure what the pipelines are doing all the way down to the infrastructure and everything else in between. What services are running, what data sets are being used, what's the lineage, how are these data sets actually starting and ending and what are all the different pipelines and people touching it. And once you, that's a hard problem, by the way. It's not an easy problem to solve. Absolutely, yeah. But once you've gathered all this info, correlated it, 
and made it presentable so people can lean into understanding what's happening. Then we've taken certain classes of problems and develop algorithms and machine learning models to do automatic root cause analysis, automatic inferencing, and then automatic inefficiencies or insights for improving things. So let's take some classes of problems. Finance guy. Where's my money going? How do I reduce this? Okay, now that we have all of this data sitting down, let's start running algorithms to go hunt for wastages that are happening on the environment. Inefficiencies being written in code. Inefficient ways in which pipelines are duplicating efforts. Ways that you're storing your data and not partitioning it correctly, for example, maybe racking up huge bills. We're looking at every layer of the stack again, but with the lens of where are inefficiencies for cost? A data engineer may not worry about cost as much, although they should. Mostly be focused on performance improvements, for example. How do I make my application run faster or more reliable? Taking those same data sets, but we're running algorithms to figure out what are the factors that affect performance? Okay, let's go and understand if you have skew, if you have bad joins, if you had load and balance, all the other fun, sexy things, right? But somebody's got to solve yeah. all these jokes aside. Um, and the algorithms are hunting for that. And then we're surfacing this in the form of plain English instead of technical jargon and saying, look, your application or your data pipeline today took 40 minutes to run. We found out ways in which you can run this in 15 minutes. These are the three things that have gone wrong or can be improved. And this is how you can go and improve it. Would you like to do it? You can click yes. Unravel does it on your behalf. Or you can go and change configuration settings, rewrite your code, repartition your data, whatever the insights are by yourself and run it. And that automation takes away the black box effect out of it which is, man, I'm putting some code inside. I don't know what's happening underneath it. And I cannot even understand it, let alone fix it. To now saying, hey, this data stack is more approachable. And no matter where I'm running, I could be running a Snowflake query or a Spark, something on Databricks, for example. But now I'm able to understand what my code is doing and what my pipeline is actually performing. And here is something that's actually telling me out of the hundreds of possible reasons, these are the top three things I need to focus on. Great. And what we're seeing, Mike, is with that, people are actually learning more about these technologies. And the longer we stay with a particular group of engineers inside the organization, we're starting to see the common problems decrease over time, where they're learning and saying, ah, I made this mistake last time, or I didn't know about this last time, but now I know about it, and I'm going to improve it. And that's a, like, almost like a loop that's happening inside these companies where problems are detected, you fix it, you get a happy state, but then after that, the number of problems are reducing, or at least a similar kind of problems are reducing. So the happy state is going higher and higher. And the happy state could be my costs are reducing, my performance is improving, my SLAs are being met more, I have fewer critical errors in my systems, the number of support tickets are dropping down month over month. And that's is really helping companies, especially where they've got thousands of people and only a few hundred of them are actually data experts. And now all the novice or the business analysts who don't know what's distributed computing can also now understand what they need to go and do and, and run those jobs better. I love this. I think that these types of technologies are just becoming necessary to run even a medium-sized or small-sized business. 
as things continue to grow in complexity. I do think that also, as we reflect on these tools, they're only as good as the people that you have running them and staying up to date and leveraging them. All the data in the world isn't going to make a great decision unless you spend the time to evaluate those inferences. How much does culture have to do with playing in a successful versus a failure implementation? And what are the key differences from products that or companies that have used your software and succeeded versus those that have really struggled to take flight? Oh, it's one of the most important points, Mike. It's, it's good that you brought it up. Let's take that FinOps example, where you actually have more constituents. You've got the finance folks, you've got the operations folks, and you've got the engineers in that scenario. We can all sit down through software, through manual expertise, just manual digging and figure out, hey, there are n number of ways to go in, reduce cost. It's not going to happen until the engineers don't take action on it. And in fact, the FinOps organization cites that as one of the biggest hurdles is getting the engineers to take action on it. And it's not that the engineers do not want to take an action on it. They, they either are not incentivized around it, which is not my job, and or they don't know what to go and do. So the what to go and do part, part Unravel makes that much more simpler. So it's okay. You don't need to spend five hours figuring this thing out, or you don't need to have six people sitting down inside a room to sort this out. It's telling you instantly in plain English what to go and do. But now the incentivization, that is the cultural piece to make sure that it is not only a part of the engineer's role or responsibility, but there is a reason why they should be doing this. In companies that we've done, that we've seen this being done really well, They've done a couple of things, and it really varies from company to company. The number one part is this concept of being a good citizen on your data platform. A wall of fame or something similar helps. In one company, we actually put up the top 10 users in the most, who are the most efficient. That's great. Most reliable code on a 100-inch monitor in their engineering pit. Uh, when they went, oh, these guys coming to work for Tuesdays and Thursdays, they get to see that. They're like, ah, I'm up there. And... This is, again, something Unravel is monitoring in the background and saying, this person fixed the most number of problems or presented the fewer number of issues in the first place. And that's how you go rank up on the leaderboard. Another company actually monetarily incentivized their people to go and find these inefficiencies and knock them down. That was another extreme example where they actually shared dollars saved with the employees that saved them. They said, look, for every dollar you see, yeah, really interesting. we'll give you 15 cents. Obviously, people are hunting for inefficiencies even more eagerly than the other companies. So it really varies. Some companies want to do something like a weekly cleanse at times. So they say, hey, we've got a hackathon. Let's have a cleanse that we do maybe once a week, once a month to go and remove all these inefficiencies. But all of this only happens if there is a process and there is something repeatable that happens. What Unravel helps do in this case is helps create habits if the companies choose to do so with the product. Habits are created ultimately with a trigger, an action, and a reward. And if you think about any app that you use, any good habit that you have, any bad habit that you have, you can really break it down into these three components, right? And Unravel provides you the trigger in the form of these are your list of actions. These are the things that you should be doing, bringing it to you. Maybe while you're developing code, when the code is being reviewed, instead of doing a manual review, 
put and unravel in your CI/CD process. It's automatically scanning and telling you what problems to go and fix. You don't have to go into new software. It's just right in your DevOps tool chain, right? Hey, fix these three problems before you put this app in production. So get it to them, trigger it right there, help them get the action and then have the reward. So the reward could be something like the wall of fame or that your code has the fewest number of reviews amongst everybody else in your team. Badges, gamifying the system like that as well really helps drive that kind of a behavior. And it takes effort the first time or the second time, but after that, it just starts becoming a well-oiled machine. I love it. I love it. And I think that to your point, these gamification, these ways of incentivizing, creating motivation within the team to get excited about change and efficiency is, it's no easy task, but definitely once you gain traction, you start to see the rewards shine through fast. So final question, really, I think that there is so much to come in the observability space. I don't think it's slowing down anytime soon. Where do you see the future in the next three to five years? What's coming? We have generative AI. We have Altman talking about the one person billion dollar company, right? What's next? So the data applications are going to run the world. It's as simple as that, right? Anything that you do every day, from driving your car to anything in your banking. God knows what's going to come up next. Everything is a data app. Your driverless car is a data app. Your entire banking system is a data app. Anything you're doing in healthcare is data at the end of the day. So when you think about observability, it's ultimately making sure that your world is running fine. That's what it comes down to. And that you can depend on it. It's not going to fail. It's going to run. It's going to run on time every time. It's going to produce the right results because the entire system is going to be banking on it. So when we think about observability in the future, that's the lens that you need to have on it, which is how do you keep the app, the business, the organization, and the country running at the end of the day? And if there is something that's amiss, whether it's quality, whether it's performance, whether it's some sort of a failure or hiccup, being able to solve that problem fast will be of the utmost importance because the negative impact of that stuff not working or even worse, working but producing wrong results or working incorrectly could be more than just a monetary uh, loss. It could be human loss. It could be life loss. Um, so yeah. observability is just hand in hand with any data product that you're ultimately going to be building out. That's something that's making sure that everything is up and running and working the way it's supposed to be working is going to be as critical as the problem itself. That was excellent. I, you know, I couldn't agree more. Detzel, anything on your end? No, but then I'll thank you so much for coming on to Data Hurls. And thank you everyone for tuning in for another episode. So rate and review us. My name is Chris Detzel and Michael Burke. Thanks for tuning in. Thanks everyone. <laughs>